I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we're going to continue. This is the last sermon on the Beatitudes for a while. Trust me, we'll come back to the Beatitudes because it's one that, uh, that we should frequent. Um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. What makes it so powerful is not so much that it's a sermon. Jesus preached several sermons. Several of them are recorded. And they're all really good. But what makes it so powerful is it really is sort of an instruction manual for those of us who are kingdom people. And maybe that's even not exactly the right way to put, to put it. It's not necessarily a, a manual, but it's sort of a, a description about what kingdom people look like. And what I'm so excited about is the day when we all stand before the Lord in our glorified bodies and we're actually going to be able to live these realities out in truth. You know, isn't that going to be great? <laughs> um, we struggle with this, don't we? How many of you guys struggled to be a peacemaker at any point this week, even though we had a sermon about it last week, right? I mean, like, we struggle, we wrestle with this, and that's part of our reality today. But uh, I want to encourage you that if you're wrestling, you're going in the right direction, because most people aren't wrestling. Most people are just going wherever the winds of the world are blowing. And if we're blowing with the wind of the Holy Spirit, uh, then we're going upstream, oftentimes, and that can feel really difficult. But I want to encourage you that if you're in the midst of the struggle, there's something right about what you're doing. So if you feel like you're not at home in this world, um, then welcome to Christianity, <laughs> okay? Um, that's how Christians have been throughout all of history. Um, and, and if you feel like you're at home in this world, uh, you need Jesus. That's all I'm saying. And that's where we all are because we are all broken people and we need to be restored to, to become the people he created us to be. We've been saying for weeks now that the primary issue that the world face or faces is that the world is turned away from God and towards self. And so uh, our hearts are naturally self-oriented, self-centered, whatever you want to call it. And um, in America, as much as I love this country, our very country is a great example of this. Because um, when the original founders wrote, uh, you, you know, the statement, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which, by the way, I've said this before, but that wasn't supposed to be the original statement. It was supposed to be life, liberty, and the pursuit of property, because they were talking about human rights, right? That everyone should be able to live, shouldn't have to worry about getting murdered. That's a good thing, you know? Um, liberty, you should be free to live, however you want, within certain parameters, because you know, we all know true freedom isn't devoid of law. But anyway, um, and then pursuit of property. Everyone should be able to own land. That was their idea uh, because that was very exclusive in Britain where they were from. It was a tiny island, so I kind of get it. But, um, but, but here, they said there, there should be a certain level of freedom in this country. And they changed pursuit of property to happiness. I don't know why. Um, it just sounds very American. I should just be happy, you know. Like, I, I just want to be happy and live my life. And I mean, I, mean, I hear that all the time. And, uh, and so that's kind of our lifestyle. We think, you know, whatever makes me happy, whatever makes me feel good, we kind of run after those things. And um, that is very much a part of the culture that we live in today. But that's not the way of the kingdom of God. And we've been talking about that for a few weeks. And uh, I think we've pretty well established the fact that the way of the kingdom of God is a little different than the way of the world. In fact, we've said multiple times that in the world, what seems right side up is upside down in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, what seems uh, upside down is actually uh, right side up. We, we've got like this, this weird flipped thing going on. And, and um, you know, it's like we're living in a bizarro world. Anybody Superman fans around here? You know, the bizarro Superman who was like the opposite of Superman from another dimension. It's like we live in that world and the real world just looks different and it's better and it's more glorious and it's more beautiful and it's what God intended when he put Adam and Eve in a garden and he said, cultivate the land, fill the earth and subdue it, right? Basically, God said to them, I want you to join me in the work of projecting my glory out to the universe. So that's why he put him in that environment. He gave him this amazing place because he wanted them to, to join him in his work of expressing his glory. And I believe that God always had in his mind that that garden would eventually turn into a city because he told them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and subdue it. They were supposed to have kids. They were supposed to fill that garden up, and you know how it goes. When you get a bunch of people, eventually you have a city. 
And so in many ways, humanity has done exactly what God created us to do. We filled the earth. We've subdued it. We built cities. 80% of the population in North America, by the way, lives in big cities. You ever thought about how in Oklahoma we have 4 million people and a million and a half live in the Oklahoma City metro and a million live in the Tulsa metro? That's a lot of land where nobody is. So one, one thing I love about Oklahoma is it's easy to get away from, from people, you know. You can, like, go hide somewhere, go find a place and camp, and it's great. It's beautiful. Um, but, uh, you know, God always had this plan that we'd build cities, that we'd live together. But those cities, his intention was that they would be to his glory. And because of the way things have gone, it hasn't gone exactly great because of the choices of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And so we know that. We live in this world. We see the brokenness. We see how people treat each other. We see how dehumanizing we can be of each other when we have disagreements and, you know, things like that. We're not particularly yielding to one another very well as a, as, as a whole civilization. So um, because of that mindset, because we live in a world where people tend to be kind of stuck in their own ways and, and they, they tend to be focused on self and what makes them happy, when you are someone who has a different way of thinking, a different way of living, you're oftentimes not received super well. Anyone ever notice that about this world? Um, we have it good in America, by the way. We really do. Because nobody's like stealing our land or burning us at the stake. And I mean, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to not get burned at the stake. It's happened in history. I'm a pastor. I'd be the first one they'd be coming after. So I'm happy to live in a place where, where we have relative peace, even if sometimes we get some pushback from the culture. But the reality is we are learning to live in such a way where we are not at the center, right? That's what it, the Christian life is about. I'm learning to live a life where I'm not the center of my universe. I'm learning to live a life in constant and perpetual repentance where I'm saying, Self, you have to die so that Christ can live through me, right? I'm learning to live that life. It's not always easy. I have moments where I really just want to destroy someone because they're in my way. I'm an American too, okay? Um, I, I, sometimes I, I got off Twitter because the temptation to make those just mean tweets are so easy whenever you, you're not, like, don't actually know people. And I finally was just like, you know, I don't even need that temptation in my life. I'm out. And then I'm a lot more careful on Facebook, you know. At least on Facebook, I've kind of like, it's like, that, that's a face I've seen. So it's Facebook, right? Anyway, um, there's, but the way that we, we approach one another, is, it's just so important that we, that we radiate this piece of Jesus. But it's not always going to be received well. Here's the, here's the two sort of sides that we're looking at today. The kingdom virtue. Now, again, this is a virtue. The kingdom I, I want to, sorry, I stumbled over that for a second. The, the, um, the term that I most often use is value. I don't talk about virtue that much. I don't know about you all. I, I talk about values quite a bit. But really, these aren't values. This is something deeper. These are virtues. These beatitudes. And a virtue is a part of, your, of who you are. Like a value can change, but a virtue never changes. So uh, this virtue that we're looking at today is persecution and particularly enduring persecution. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, now hold on just a minute. That's, that's, that's a virtue in the kingdom to be persecuted? Yes, and I'll explain why as we walk through this passage today. Because the worldly value on the other side, and the worldly value, because it's a value, it's not a virtue, it's not a deep-seated reality, it's just something that people have learned to grasp a hold of, because they don't want to pursue God, okay? It's comfort. Or we might even call it weak conviction. We've seen this. We've seen a lot of it, actually, in our culture. Uh, I feel like I've experienced a whole lot of weak conviction or, or that we might even call it a comfort idol in my life. Um, I remember when I was a kid, seemed like the majority of American, Americans believed, majority of Americans, you hear I said that? I'm such an okie. Majority of Americans uh, had a certain uh, belief system that they held on to. 
And it was derived from a biblical ethic. We used to talk about the Judeo-Christian worldview. And uh, even though I would say the majority of people probably weren't Christian, they had sort of a Christian ethic about the way they did their life. They believe in general honesty. They believe in traditional family. There, there were just certain things that were a part of who we were as Americans. And those were strongly held convictions. But then as the sexual revolution sort of took root and dug those roots down deeper, more and more Americans who used to be traditionalists now all of a sudden are like, eh, you know, that over, that, that's okay if someone wants to live that lifestyle over there. Um, it's okay if somebody wants to, you know, to, uh, to believe this as long as they don't mess with me. This whole idea of, of tolerance. We have become a culture of chameleons. We just sort of change color depending on what the society is doing out there. You know why? It's because we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to stand up for hard truth because if we stand up for hard truth, we get pushback. And so even people that, that I knew as a kid as strong people with great conviction, a lot of them today are not that way. They're just kind of whatever, you know, they're like a reed blowing in the wind. And the wind isn't the Holy Spirit. And then there are those of us who we've received the Lord and there's, there's just some kind of conviction in us that's not easily tossed by the winds of the world, right? Uh, we're more like a wall that's been built or a really strong tree that's been planted and the wind doesn't really do that much to us. And, and when you're that kind of person who just stands strong in the midst of all these changes that are happening, and when you're one of the only people who's saying, well, hang on, those traditional values were actually, I was actually right. And when you're one of the only people who's saying, hey, Look, I know there are a lot of other religions out there, but there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. Can I just say you're not going to be that popular in the Western civilization of today? And you weren't very popular in Jesus' day either, which just tells us the world hasn't changed that much. If we experienced a period where we had a lot of people who had biblical conviction in our culture, that was just grace. That's not the common thing that's been experienced throughout history. Throughout most of history, the church has been persecuted. Sometimes the church was even persecuted by the church that was actually walking in a worldly sort of way rather than walking in the Holy Spirit and rooted in the scriptures, right? We have lived in rare times where we've had freedom to worship Christ and we've been relatively unchallenged. And even today, I know we Christians in America can sometimes be like, man, we're so persecuted. We've got all this trouble. People don't like us. They don't like our ideas. They're shutting down our churches because of a pandemic, which, you know, I, we can have some debate over, <laughs> over that, whether that's malicious or just, um, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't really know. But what I do know is we've got it pretty good here. So <laughs> we need some perspective on that. We're, we're pretty blessed still. We're free. But that doesn't mean we're always going to have that freedom. And really what we need to recognize is that no matter what our circumstances are, we have a job. And that is to stay true to what Christ is doing in us. No matter what this world does or no, no matter how this world pushes back against it. I'm going to give a few thoughts out of this passage today, and we're going to read the passage like we've been doing, and then we're going to focus in on verses 10 through 12. So let's go ahead and read the passage. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read the whole passage, and then we'll go back and talk about the, these, uh, the section of verses we're focusing on today. He opened his mouth and he taught them. Oh, wait, we want to start in verse 1, sorry. <laughs> Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Okay, I'm going to remind us again. Disciples, that's you guys, that's me. This is a conversation Jesus is having with us. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You were the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall, it be, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This is the word of the Lord. Can we give the Lord praise for his word this morning? Thank you, Father. And so, Father, what we seek this morning is to understand what you want to say through this word. People didn't come here because they care about what my opinion is. Um, they didn't come here because they wanted to have their ears tickled. They came here because they wanted to hear from you, the living God of the universe, who has done all these things that we sung about this morning, all the things that we read about this morning. You are the one who has come to restore all things, and you're starting with us. So, Lord, help us from your word to draw something out. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would speak to us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been, we've been talking about this whole idea of being salt because that's ultimately what Jesus is describing. What, is it, what does a salty person taste like? Here's the flavor. Okay, we're not just talking about like sweaty person who's been playing soccer. I mean, this is a different kind of salt, right? Now, when I play soccer, when I play sports really hard, I sweat. We all do, okay? Even women, you sweat too, okay? Just admit it, all right? Uh, I know, I know y'all want to be like perfect and always clean, but we know, we know the reality, okay? Um, and, uh, and, and, and here's the thing. Um, when, we, when we play hard for Jesus, we sweat too. But the sweat has a different, so it was a different kind of sweat. We're talking about the characteristics of the kingdom diffusing out of us, right? Like we mentioned last week. We're like diffusers. We're like little diffusers. And we're having implanted in us the power of God, the Holy Spirit, the Word. And then God's expectation is that as we go about our lives, that's diffusing from us into other people. And they're seeing His glory through us. Now, specifically, when we get to verse 10, this is, a, this is maybe the hardest part of this whole thing. Now, I know we've struggled a little bit with some other parts, I'm sure. We've struggled with, you know, each one of these in different ways. But when you come to this where Jesus says to you, blessed are you who are persecuted. How many of you just got real excited about that when you, when you read that? You know, anybody? No? Oh, no, not a single person. I didn't either. <laughs> because I don't like persecution. I don't like the idea of being pressed against or hurt. And I'll tell you who I really wrestle when I think about my children. Is that, you know, I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big dude. I can handle myself, but I think about my babies. And they're always babies, right? For those, you know, those of us, you know, those of you who have older kids, they're still babies, aren't they, to you? I mean, um, I, I look at my nine-year-old. She's, like, as tall as my wife now almost. It's crazy. But I'm, like, I tell her all the time, like, you're still my baby. <laughs> and I want to still hold her like a baby. She's my little girl. I always view them that way. I think of my kids, and I'm, like, man, I really, I don't want them to go through this, Lord. But here's the thing. It's good for them. And it's good for me, and it's good for you. And we're going to talk a little bit about why. Uh, first, Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate example for us of this. Jesus is the ultimate example of enduring persecution because of his unwavering conviction and of how good it is for us to go through that. You may look at Jesus' life and say, how can you call that good? He lived a perfect life. He did everything he was supposed to do. And they looked at him and they called him a glutton and a drunkard. And, 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 and at the cross, they accused him of things he never did. Right? Like, his trial was not fair. <laughs> it was not fair. There, there, there wasn't a jury. It was, it, was, it was not a fair trial, what Jesus went through. They brought false accusations. I, I always remember reading where it's like, even in their false accusations, they couldn't agree. 
And yet somehow these people figure out a way to convict Jesus of being an absolutely perfect human. Now, if, 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 we don't, if we need any more examples of how the world wrestles with a truly human human, just look to Jesus. Scripture even tells us that if they did that to him, how much more his followers who are not perfect. And we're just trying. Here's the thing. Like, Jesus was a perfect example. We're just trying to be like Jesus, but we've got all kinds of flaws. They're, they actually have reasons why they might want to crucify us. You know what I mean? But he, he was everything that a man should be. He was the perfect right-side-up man in an upside-down world. And their reaction to him was to hang him on a tree. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Do you know that this is a passage about the crucifixion? This is a passage about the crucifixion. And, and, and what Isaiah says, that the Lord spoke through Isaiah that his servant shall act wisely and that wisdom essentially led him to be lifted up on the tree. And from that position, he was highly exalted. It's perfect obedience to the Father. We could talk about all the things Jesus fulfilled on the cross. But he did everything that Adam was supposed to do but failed to do. Jesus did. Even to the point of death on a cross, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. Perfectly obedient to the Father in all things. But Jesus was hung on a cross for being exceptionally good. Let's make no mistake about that. And so his unwavering conviction, his unwillingness to be anything other than who he was, which was the Son of God, got him hung on a tree. He's the perfect example of enduring persecution because of true conviction for the right things. But we also know that through his endurance, Jesus brought about the power of the kingdom of God in this world in a way that this world had never seen it since Adam and Eve bit that fruit. Jesus brought the power of the kingdom to bear on this dark and dying world. Isaiah also writes in Isaiah 53, 12, continuing to talk about the crucifixion, by the way. He wrote, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What Christ did on the cross. And by the way, this starts long before. I mean, that's why we're, we're in the Advent season. We, we'd be doing the Advent, a lot of injustice if we didn't talk about the cross too. Because baby Jesus was born to die for our sins. He, the entire reason why he came was so that he could become one of us and enter into our mess that he didn't make. And that he could have been, he would have been totally justified in just saying, forget you guys, I'm, I'm not messing with this. And just wiping the slate clean, he would have been totally justified. Because guess what? We all deserve it. Scripture says not a single person, not a single person has done rightly. That's what Romans chapter 3 tells us. Not a single one seeks after God naturally. It's not the way of our hearts. We are like our father Adam, pursuing our own way, our own path, our own pattern. We're all Frank Sinatra doing it my way. You know what I mean? Like all of us, that's where we are. That's not who we were created to be. We were created to be selfless, to be looking away from self and towards God. And it's a kind thing that God calls us to when he calls us to repentance. He's calling us to get outside of ourselves. To not be self-centered, but to be Christ-centered is actually to be truly human. But anyway, um, what Christ did, who again, God of the universe, 
the one who spoke all things into existence. What Christ did is he, the one who made everything, turned away from himself and towards the Father and towards us in love. In love. Think about that kind of love. The kind of love that would die for your worst enemy. When Jesus was born in the manger, he always had it in his heart, okay, that he was going to die for people who hated him. So that he could restore all of us to our proper place with the Father. If we are willing to turn away from ourselves and towards him. It's a big if, though. <laughs> we have to be willing to go with Jesus if we want to be with Jesus. But what he accomplished through his persecution, through his extreme persecution, was a greater glory for us than we can really understand. Remember how we talked about That we were gonna that that if we are the kind of people who are about the work of making peace, that we would be called sons of God. And we talked about how what that really means. It, it's 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 masculine on purpose, by the way. We talked about this. It's masculine on purpose because what he's saying is in in that cultural context, the firstborn son had everything, and what he's saying is whether you're male or female, whether you're slave or free, whether, whatever you are, wherever you find yourself, if you're in Christ, you're a firstborn son. You're a primary inheritor of the kingdom. And let's not miss what that means. It means that your inheritance is on par with the inheritance of Christ himself. If you're in him. I, I just believe the Holy Spirit doesn't use that kind of language on accident. And so we're supposed to understand it. We're supposed to internalize it. And so if you're a son of the kingdom, then really what he's saying is let's, let's act like sons of the kingdom. But also know that if you're a son of the kingdom and you're in enemy territory, you might not be treated as well as you will when you're actually in your kingdom. And, and again, Jesus came into enemy territory to reclaim God's territory and to help us reclaim our proper place, which is with God in the kingdom. We are we were created in God's image to reflect his glory. If we're living any other way, then we're not complete. We're not the people we're supposed to be. And there's something that will always be off inside of us. We'll always be seeking the next big thing. Always. Never at peace. Never at rest. We won't have the shalom that we talked about last week. Why? Because we're off kilter. But we don't even know it. His reward for advancing the kingdom was death. Think about that. The reward Christ received for coming to advance the kingdom into enemy territory was death. But his death only pushed the advance of God's kingdom onward into enemy territory. And now we live in a time where the kingdom of God is present everywhere, whether we can see it or not. And really, all we're doing is revealing where the kingdom is to people. That this world is God's, Satan is whooped. And the day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to return and proclaim victory and all who are in Christ, Scripture says, will be raised to life. And all who are apart from Christ will be raised to judgment. But I want to tell you that there's not a single person alive today who is going to go to judgment who didn't have the opportunity to respond to life. I believe in the grace of God. I believe He's at work everywhere. He's at work in the remotest village in the world. He's at work here in Oklahoma City where there's like a billion churches. You know, there's like a billion churches in Oklahoma City, but fewer than 20% of people go to church on a given Sunday. You know what that tells me? There's a bunch of your neighbors who need to hear what you are carrying. 
They need to see the kingdom lived out through you. Through resisting the way of this world, Jesus was able to bring about life for all of us, even though it cost him his life. And look, by resisting the world, by resisting Christ, the world actually served to move him along in his cause, and they didn't even realize it, right? They resisted Christ, put him on the cross, and what happened? Now we're all able to be saved because of what Christ has done on the cross. Now, here's one of the important things we need to understand about persecution. Persecution of someone who's in Christ will always and only serve to bring about more of the kingdom in this world. The world, even if they kill us, they'll tell our story. Because they cannot stamp out the power of God in this world. So what about us? Our, like we know, we know who Jesus is. He's the one who lived a perfect life and was ultimately persecuted because of it. We know that he's the one who through his persecution has brought us life because he endured it and because he overcame. Because there's a bloody cross and an empty tomb, you and I have life. But we need to understand that he didn't just come to save our souls. He came to set us right. And he came to set us right now. I often say this because I believe it's true that Christ came to restore all things. And he's starting with you and me. One of my favorite verses in the whole of Scripture is in Revelation when Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. I love that passage. I love that, that, that just that one snippet. If I were going to get a tattoo, I'm not saying I'm going to, but if I were going to, you know, that might be the one. I don't know. But I'm just saying, man, I mean, behold, Jesus says, I am making all things new. And the word says that you and I are among the first fruits of the restoration work of God. So here's what I know about me. I know I'm still a work in progress. I find that out every day. I'm reminded when I'm at the end of my rope and I snap at somebody. I'm reminded when I find myself tired and, and not doing something that I should have done, or when I find my mind just wandering away from Jesus. This happens to everybody. I know people think of pastors as like some super spiritual beings, but um, we're not Jesus. We're trying to become like Jesus. We're hoping to be the first example like for the church, right? But... Uh, but uh, Pastor Richard, you ever have a couple days where you forget the Lord and he has to remind you on the third day? You ever have one? Me too. Uh, I've had times where I, I just, I, I, I don't think about the Lord. I mean, I, I'm, I'm always sort of mindful of the Lord. But, but I, I remember that I've had a couple days at a time where it's just kind of like I'm going through my life. And the Lord's there, but I didn't really talk to him much. And then all of a sudden the Lord just kind of like tap on my shoulder. I'm like, ah. Oh, can't believe that I haven't spent time in prayer the last couple days. Like, it just, what I'm saying is we're all in this struggle. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you know about this word. You know, like, the Lord keeps, like, showing me more. But, like, I know a lot of this word, and I still struggle, right? I have a lot of this, I actually have a lot of this memorized. The more I read through it, the more I realize, like, how much God has taught me. And it's amazing to me how much God has taught me of this thing. I know it's supernatural power. It's not me, because... I know it's not. You should have seen the student I was in high school, you know. Um, if I have any good thing, it's by his grace. But, but I also realize we still, I struggle, you struggle, we all struggle. But here's, here's the thing. If you have been called and redeemed by Jesus and you've been empowered with the Holy Spirit, 
we have a responsibility and a calling by God to join him in the work of making all things new. He's at work in us. Now, I'm not a finished product yet. You're not a finished product yet. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 said to all of us, I'm not a finished product yet. I love that, right? We know Peter wasn't a finished product yet. Peter hung out with Jesus for three and a half years, and he still went fishing when Jesus didn't show up when, when he thought he should. You know? I mean, we are all broken people being restored. But we are a part of the restoration. And, and church, are you hungry for the restored work that Jesus Christ is doing in this world? Are you hungry for it in your own heart? That's a question that we all have to ask. Do I really want to be the person Jesus called me to be? Because here's what happens when we are the people that he's called us to be, when we're in the process of restoration. We become a threat to a world that is in rebellion against him. In other words, if you embrace your identity in Christ, if you pursue becoming the person he's created you to be, you're oftentimes going to have people look at you with a puzzling look and say, what is your deal? <laughs> What's with you? How come you're, you, you're so staunch in that opinion? How come you can't just embrace love as love, man? <laughs> Look, we don't want to be mean. We don't want to be jerks about it. But like, I'm going to stand for biblical truth. I mean, kindness is a part of that. Actually, the scriptures say that, that if we suffer, we should suffer for doing good. Don't suffer for being a jerk, okay? That, that's actually really important. We don't want to suffer for being a jerk, even if we're being a jerk with the truth. If we're being a jerk with the truth, we're just like the rest of the world, even if we're right. We want to be kind. We want to have the heart of Jesus. I don't know a single one of us who's righteous enough to go get a whip and drive out the temple. The only one I've ever known who's got that kind of righteousness, who could do that with a pure heart, is Jesus. And so for the Christian, I would always say, let's realize that we are just like them, if not for the grace of God. We, we've got to have mercy. And I believe even in that moment, Jesus had mercy. We, we have to understand that they were exploiting the poor, right? And Jesus wasn't going to have that. But, but there's a whole lot we can think about. It's, it's easy for us to get the, this attitude of almost like we're better than you because we're Christian. We don't want to have that attitude. We don't want to suffer because we're not nice. We want to suffer for being good, kind, but steadfast. We, we find ourselves persecuted because the world under the influence of Satan is threatened by the encroachment of God's kingdom. It's why Jesus was able to say they know not what they do from the cross. He knew that. He knew that the people were influenced by the devil, that they weren't walking in truth. It doesn't absolve the world of guilt that they don't know what they're doing, but it should be a reminder for us that we ought to give mercy. Remember, we've said this several times, justice is when you get what you deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. And we are all recipients of mercy from the Lord. I, I live every day knowing that I deserve hellfire. But I'm treated like a son of the kingdom. If that doesn't blow your mind and transform your heart, I don't know what will. If you're in Christ, look, look, here's what I know. I know that all of us could stand to be a lot more saturated in this. Remember how Pastor Dennis, when he was here, he just said, man, we've got to be saturated in the Word of God. Why? Because the more saturated you are in this Word, like more of this, saturated in this more than your favorite Netflix show or OU football. <laughs> saturated in this more than anything else. Because through this, God produces in us more of his glory. We learn about his character and his nature. And I don't know what it is about the scriptures, but the Holy Spirit just mingles with our hearts when we're in the word. 
I mentioned to you, to you all a couple weeks ago that for me, I've learned at least lately, like this has been this year, honestly, that some days I haven't felt like studying and I've just listened and it's just like the Holy Spirit somehow even just listening to the word. He's speaking to my heart and he's molding me and shaping me and I think it's just the act of choosing him when I don't feel like it. And, and that's repentance. That's daily repentance. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of days when I don't feel like it. A lot of days when I just don't feel like pursuing Christ in his kingdom. And I just want to do my thing. But that is where the battle is. What am I going to choose? When faced with someone in this world who has different views than me, and who's, when the temptation is there to just capitulate to the world's ways and just to say, you know what, no, that's all fine, no big deal, I'm not going to push back against that. When I rise up and I say, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do it because I'm going to be in the struggle for my own personal holiness because I have the Holy Spirit and I have the Word and Christ has redeemed me. I'm going to live in that struggle. I'm going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling like, like the Scriptures call me to do. Understand that that's victory. When you're tempted and you overcome it, that's not a fail. Some people are like, man, I was tempted. I was thinking about doing this thing. And then you just feel bad. That's the devil. Because when you're tempted and you overcome it, that's a victory. Because the Holy Spirit helped you get to the other side of that without actually falling down the sin pattern. But even when you sin and you're able to get back up and, and, and put that away and say, no, I'm walking with the Lord, that's a victory. Yeah, the sin was a fail, but guess what? Getting back up and walking with the Lord means His presence is with you. And let me tell you two things about persecution that I think we need to consider as we finish up today. Persecution does two things for us. And, and, and let's, because I, I, I don't want to forget the last part of this, Jesus says rejoice. He says, when you're persecuted because you're living for me, and, and that is really specific and important. Bluster you when others revile you, and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in the kingdom. That, that's really important on his account. If they're doing that because you were stupid in your own might, you're not blessed, okay? You're blessed when you're doing right by Jesus and people persecute you, okay? That's important. Because there are some people out there, I've heard it, like, like I was just, you know, like, oh, I'm so persecuted, and I'm, I'm blessed, I'm thankful, I'm persecuted, and what they were doing wasn't really Christ-like. And so I'm like, no, that doesn't work. The point here is when we're walking in Jesus, and, and we're doing the right thing, and we're living for the truth, we're living out the truth, and we're speaking out the truth, and then we get that pushback. Jesus says, you're blessed. And he says, rejoice. Why? Why would you rejoice? Why would you get excited about persecution? Because that's what Jesus is saying. Get excited, man. You got persecuted today. Why? Well, two things. One, because you guys remember back, anybody else take geometry? Like back in high school or college? Yeah. Man, I love geometry. That was a fun class. I got to draw things. I loved it. Um, but you know what I hated? I hated proofs. Proofs of the devil. And, uh, and I had a great teacher, Miss uh, Jocelyn Andis from Yukon High School. Well, actually, I had her, she was my seventh grade math teacher, and then, then she came up with us to the high school. So um, she must have really liked us. I don't know. But uh, so I had her in seventh grade and tenth grade. It was great. Uh, I took geometry in tenth grade, and she did a great job. But she made us do proofs. And at the time, I was just like, man, what? That's so ridiculous. I don't want to do that. I liked her. Didn't like her work. But... Uh, but you know what? Uh, the proofs taught me something about life. The proofs taught me I can talk all I want, but there's something about the shadow that proves the sunlight, right? Like there's something there casting a shadow, and that's kind of what our, what one of the things persecution does for us. Persecution serves as a proof that you're walking with Jesus. Here's why. Because if you're living the right way, people are going to push against you. You're going to get pushback. And I would say this, Christian, if you're never getting any pushback because you're a Christian, you're probably not living your life loud enough. So I want to encourage you this morning, live a little louder. Speak the truth of the gospel a little bit louder. 
and let's be more concerned about the approval of God than we are the approval of people. Because if you're more concerned about the approval of God than you are about the approval of people, that is a proof that shows you're actually in God's kingdom. You're one of his kids. Because you've come to know that you have a greater treasure than what is in this world. The writer of Hebrews even tells us that. He says, uh, of Moses, he says, Moses was willing to give up all of the palace and everything he had in Egypt. Why? Because he knew he had a better kingdom and something better to live for in the Lord. So are we willing to give those things up? Are we willing to give up our peace and our comfort as Americans? Because we have a better kingdom that we're looking forward to. I hope so. But all, all I'm saying is when you're persecuted for doing right, that's a proof that you're actually one of God's kids because they persecuted the prophets before you and they persecuted Jesus because he did the right thing. So you're in good company if you get pushed back from the world. The other thing that I think is really important about persecution, and it's kind of along the same lines, but you prove, there's something about it that proves to yourself that you're truly in Christ. Um, I think that the reason why a lot of people really struggle with doubting whether or not they're actually in Christ is because they just don't have enough works of the kingdom to convince themselves. And so when we live in such a way where Jesus is first and we just don't really care what happens to us, there's something about that that, that anchors us, that allows us to really remember who we are. So you sort of prove your faith to the world, but you also prove it to yourself in many ways. And I, I mean, again, it's a, it's a work of grace. It's not like any of this is, like none of us are doing the right thing in our own strength. This only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. But we need to know that, that persecution is good. Again, Jesus said to, he says, rejoice and be glad because you are in good company if you're getting pushed back from a world that is in rebellion against God. Right? Is that something we can get excited about this morning? So here's what I think the Lord would challenge us on this week. Again, persecution, just like all these other beatitudes, is about being turned away from self and towards Christ. Right? When I endure persecution, I prove that I'm not living for myself. I'm living for Jesus. Because if I was living for myself, I would take the easy road. That's why Jesus says that the, that the path to the kingdom is a narrow road. It's a difficult road. It's a mountain road. You can't drive a car up of it. You may get like a Jeep up there. Am I right, Jeep friends? All right, but, but you're not getting your car up there, you know. Um, <laughs> you're at, least, you, you, at some point, you're going to have to get out and you're going to have to travel a difficult road. That's what the Lord's saying. It's a difficult road to the kingdom. And it's an easy road to hell. Even ACDC knows that. It's a highway to hell, but it's a narrow road to heaven, you know. And, and, and so, like, we, we, we want to walk the narrow road. It's hard. It's difficult. There's boulders falling. You might get abducted by a Bigfoot. I don't know if you guys are watching those conspiracy videos like I am. I, anyway, but, but, um, <laughs> but, but the reality is, man, we're in, we're in for a fight. We're in for a difficult road if we want to follow Jesus. But there's joy at the end of it. And there's a better kingdom and there's a better city and a better family. All the things that we hope and desire could be real are on the other side of that. And so I want to encourage us because I think the word is encouraging us here and the Lord wants us to sell out to being a kingdom people. No matter what comes at us, no matter how difficult it may be, to sell out to being a kingdom people, to live with the kindness of Jesus, but also the steadfast conviction of Jesus, and to refuse to bend on gospel truth just because it's not popular. But let's also make it hard for him to persecute us. Peter writes, for who will persecute you for doing what's good? But even if you should suffer, even if you should suffer, suffer for doing good and not for evil. And he says, and when you're in the midst of that suffering, always be ready to give a, a defense for the hope that is in you. And he says that our lives should be so good that the world should be ashamed that they're persecuting us even while they're doing it. 
Let's be that. Let's be like Jesus. Because when you're like Jesus, you're salty. And when we're salty, we're preserving a world that is rotting. And some people may jump from death to life because of the example of your life and the proclamation of gospel that comes alongside of it. That's who we're called to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your challenge. Lord, we thank you for persecution. It's hard to do, Lord, but we thank you for persecution because we know that as difficult as it is, as difficult as it is to go through that and to be rejected by people, And to have people call us all kinds of names because we refuse to go down a certain path that the world wants to go down. And sometimes in history, Lord, even Christians have been killed because of their faith. But I guarantee that they've all counted it joy. And we count it joy. Lord, as James wrote in James chapter 1, consider it all joy when you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Lord, help us to be like that. That as our faith is tested, we become, we we, we gain more endurance and we become stronger and more tempered and more like Jesus with every passing day. And help us to stand, Lord. Give us your power because we can't do this on our own. Every one of us without you are hopeless. We thank you that not only do we have a bloody cross and an empty tomb that tells us that we have life now and forgiveness, but We have a resurrected Jesus who promises a a place with you in the kingdom that is coming. And we believe you when you said you go to prepare a place for us. And I can't wait to see the new Jerusalem when it's on this planet and this world is renewed. I can't wait to see it, Lord. But until then, we fight and help us to fight and to struggle gracefully in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.